Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Weigel, the Executive Director, and I'm here today with a guest that we've had in the past visit with us. Her name is Sarah Hawley, and she's a registered public health nurse. She also um, owns and operates Minnesota Childcare Health Consultants. And we have been working closely with Sarah over the last many years to just make sure that we're up to date on really best practice for health and safety in childcare settings when we go out and coach and support our providers that work with us. And today we're going to talk about a really important topic that's very near to our heart is including children with special health needs in your childcare settings. So welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad you're back. Yes. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be with you. Well, it's great today to talk about a subject that sometimes can make people kind of nervous. To be honest, caring for a child who may have some special health care needs. And so when we think about that, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so special health care needs could kind of run a gamut of different things. Um, physical disabilities could be one, um, any intellectual or developmental disabilities. And then, of course, um, medical conditions, which could be a variety of things that we'll probably talk to within a bit here. Um, but any of those um, special health care needs are going to require some sort of extra service that's generally beyond what the typical child would need in you know, the child care setting. Mm-hmm. And so as families are looking for care, and this is, I, I, I'm thinking that, you know, to really have the opportunity for our listeners to get some of this information, it's really going to make them a better um, host for a family, a better care care setting for a family with the more information that they can gather. One thing that we want to say today, too, is we're talking a lot about um, the Americans with Disabilities Act. We're talking about other laws that govern child care related to these things. And as I noted in our introduction, I am not an attorney and neither is Sarah. So we always want to encourage people to go to resources that can give you more detail um, you know, related to the law and your care setting. And um, we can touch on some of those resources at the end of the podcast. But with that, Sarah, you know, talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, what what does it prohibit? And what what do folks need to know when they're looking to care for a child with a special health care need? Right. Yeah. So um, the American Disabilities Act also referred to as the ADA quite often, if you hear that term. Um, It is a protective law. And basically, it just prohibits discrimination based on a disability. So it's going to require equal opportunity to participate in a child care's program and services, simply said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And pretty much everyone is going to have to, all child care centers, providers are going to have to comply with the ADA laws. The exception would be um, for childcare centers that are run by religious organizations. They're exempt, you know, a church or a synagogue, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, it doesn't apply. We work with lots of programs, you know, centers that are in maybe churches, maybe they rent space. So that's different. It doesn't apply to them. But, you know, when someone, when a childcare center is actually run by the religious entity, then they can be exempt. But otherwise, it's pretty much all child care providers do need to comply with the rules of the ADA. 
Mm -hmm. And what is required when you think about, you know, caring for that child with special health care needs and saying yes, what does that mean you're saying yes to when yeah, your child yeah. is sitting? Right. Um, good question. So since we talked about providers can't exclude children solely based on their disability, you know, they have to attempt to give that equal opportunity um, to participate in the child care center's programs. So any admissions policies that would screen out persons with disabilities are simply prohibited. Um, so they kind of require like basically two very basic steps. Um, the provider needs to make a case by case assessment of each individual child with their disability um, and just look at what would it mean or what would it look like to integrate the, ch the child into the provider's program. And then based on what's required, the provider needs to assess whether reasonable accommodations could be made to include that child into the program. Mm -hmm. So I loved what you said about case by case, because what could happen is you could you could be approached by a family who says, my child has uses a feeding tube and um, the provider may think, oh, I've done that before, but I had a terrible experience with it because of A, B, or C. But right. this child's situation is unique and different because it's a totally different child. And as we know, every situation, and there are many types of ways to set up the feeding tubes and all of those pieces. So really looking at that as an individual situation that they need to assess, they need to do what they can to really determine if they can make those accommodations. It isn't just a, nope, not doing it. That's not how it can be right. answered. And that, can, that cannot be the response because that provider could be in violation of the ADA. Correct. Yep. They can't just outright say no. They need to look at how to, you know, attempt to accommodate that child. Mm -hmm. um, and like I mentioned, reasonable accommodations, some of those things would be like medication administration. You know, let's say a family, for instance, is looking to enroll their child and they say they have a seizure disorder and they have to take this medication. The provider can't just say, oh, we have a no medication policy at our program. Nope, we can't enroll them. Yeah. That would be a reasonable accommodation that they would be expected to do. They can't just refuse to give medication to a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that you know has come up before with speaking of reasonable accommodations would be things um, like higher insurance rates. Mm -hmm. Perhaps a child has some sort of disability and you know there's going to be a higher insurance premium on the building or something like that. That's that's a reasonable accommodation that should be like an overhead cost that yeah. the center should just factor in, um, you know, and just be expected to be divided equally among all paying customers. So those are reasonable things that they can do to try and integrate the child into their program. But like I said, with the medication, you can't just outright say no. You know, there's right. trainings that you can do and you need to look at it further, like what all does it entail? So it's it, like you said, it's that case by case basis is really important because each child, even if they have the same diagnosis, you know, their needs might be very different and, you know, all of their cares that they require to could be quite different. Right. And I think, you know, one thing that we like to stress a lot too, in, in just the work that we do with um, early childhood folks, that is building that partnership with a family is going to be key in this situation, having good communication. And even when there's that initial contact to determine if it's going to be a good fit, having those open conversations, asking questions of the family, asking about their routines and what they typically do. How do they make transitions? How are meals served? 
all of those pieces that are going to help that provider care for that child in a way that's going to go more smoothly. So using that family too as a resource to help them kind of paint the picture of what could this look like and also reassuring them they're not in it alone. It's not like there's not going to be a place to go to get support and questions. You know, nurses like yourself, people that can answer those questions once they occur in the childcare setting. And we know from experience, a lot of people are doing this very successfully. Yeah, we see it all the time. We we often do, and we literally walk hand in hand, you know, as childcare health consultants, as public health nurses with many centers on how to integrate these children and kind of breaking down the steps like, okay, what is their diagnosis? What does that mean? Okay, what do they need? They need a tube feeding. And sometimes, you know, there's all this stress and anxiety around the unknown. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've already got 10 children to care for. How are we going to do this? So we can definitely help with that. And so can the family, you know, that communication and that collaboration is just going to be absolutely key um, in working, you know, to make it work in the program. And it it definitely can. Like I said, we, we see it all the time. Right. And so, so do we. And, and um, I, I think that just even thinking about that phrasing of reasonable accommodations, what's reasonable? You know, we understand that there are some things that may cause higher anxiety than others about a specific child. And um, I know that the ADA within the law, there are some things that um, allow for some circumstances that might be unique and, and would cause you to say, okay, that would be beyond what we could actually provide? What are those types of situations? Yeah. So sometimes things do like that come up. Um, You know, if the child's condition or whatever it was is going to pose like imminent danger to others, you know, if they had, you know, if something was potentially going to be a direct threat, um, you know, substantial risk of harm to the others in care, then that is, you know, definitely something where the child likely would not have to be admitted. Let's say they had a diagnosis of tuberculosis, you know, is mm-hmm. one that's come up, you know, and, you know, that can be a very, um, you know, contagious uh, disease that, you know, that, that would be something that would have to be looked at that, you know, likely the child would not have to be admitted because it's a threat to others. Um, and then the other thing is um, something that would fundamentally alter the nature of the child care program. Um, one thing that comes up is one-to-one assistance. So mm-hmm. if the child needs, um, you know, a one-to-one nurse or a PCA caregiver, a staff person with them, typically in child care, it is group care. So, yeah. you know, that would be a fundamental altercation of their program. Now, if the family has a PCA and they could work on integrating the PCA with the child to help with their disability, that's definitely one thing that can be looked at and considered mm-hmm. for sure. We've seen that work quite often, but, you know, it's not typical where the family can come in and say, you know, I'm going to enroll my child and you're expected to hire a staff person one-on-one to be with them. Cause that's, you know, that's going to cause a hardship basically, you know, financially staffing wise and everything for the program. But, you know, the child care center probably would be required to do certain things like provide occasional short periods of adult one-to-one um, attention. You know, if mm-hmm. the child needs help with a feeding or monitoring their condition, like diabetes, doing like finger pricks, like check, you know, checking the blood glucose um, medication administration, we mentioned, um, if that can be done to ensure that that child gets the equal opportunity to participate, that is definitely something that would be like a reasonable accommodation, providing those short periods of one-to-one care, 
but it couldn't be, you know, through the eight or 10 hour day, a one-on-one. Um, but like I said, if the family pays through an outside source um, or has that funding through something and, you know, that PCA or whoever can come with them, then that's definitely a reasonable modification, I would think, to the policy. One thing that comes into play sometimes with us in our work is the parents sharing that they're being required to provide a PCA support when you know, truly when you, you step back and look at the, the nature of the child's needs, you say, okay, is this really, is this really necessary? And right. in many cases, as you know, PCA care is very precious. And so for families to say, I'm going to take my PCA hours that I really need for our family time and right. employ that person and have them come during the day when I'm already paying professionals to care for my child, that's a really rare situation. And I think it's yes. pretty extreme when there is a, a, a need that is necessary for that PCA to actually attend the child care. And it would, so I, I would say that, that in most cases, you know, a, a center in a, or a family child care home really is not able to say you need to pay for that extra body because if they mm-hmm. note that, as you were saying, I'm going to need extra support during these times of the day, then that's part of the, the child care's kind their business plan. They're, they're because that individual is going to benefit all the kids by being yes. able to do other work. So that, that cost will be shared across all of the yes. tuition. Yeah. Yeah. And we rarely see where PCA um, has come with a child. Um, you know, typically if, it's that situation, you know, sometimes the parents are looking into other types of care and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, with, but with group child care, um, the point is, you know, if the child needed that one-to-one care, that would be a fundamental altercation yes. of the program if they had, you know, to provide that one-to-one supervision all day. But like you said, typically, most commonly, it can be those short periods of one-to-one interaction and they just have to work mm-hmm. out, you know, staffing patterns right. and that sort of thing where they can help with, you know, the tube feeding or the blood glucose check or, you know, giving insulin or something like that. And it can definitely be accommodated. It is really rare where the child would need um, the one-to-one assistance. Right. And as you're talking about those interventions and those daily kind of um, glucose checks and finger pricks, the, the site is not required to figure all that out on their own. I mean, there's training oh, available wow. and oh, yeah. that, there's support that can kind of take the whole anxiety out of that whole process. You know, do you want to share a little bit more about what, what yeah. is available yeah. out there? Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause you're right. Many staff, you know, they are just afraid with the initial, you know, news, Oh, a child enrolled and they're going to have a tube feeding. And you know, those chronic conditions can raise anxiety. Um, It's just those what if situations um, that make people nervous. So, you know, it's, you know, what if we don't have enough staff or, you know, while we're working with other children and what if I don't have all the supplies, you know, what if the child's breathing stops, you know, with certain conditions, that's a lot of things that we get like, oh, that's not going to work here. Those initial reactions. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you mentioned before, it's got to be that collaborative approach between the family, the childcare provider, and also the healthcare provider. You know, the doctor's office informing, you know, sending all those records. Um, there's a form called an ICCPP, which stands for Individualized Child Care Program Plan. Um, that is for a child with special health care needs. And 
usually like what we like to see is the doctor filling out some information on that and sending it in, you know, the child's diagnosis, their medication orders, that sort of thing. Um, but then really what we want to see is the center work with the parent to fill out that plan because that's going to tell exactly how to care for that child when they're at the program, when they're in the center. Right. You know, it's going to break it all down with all the instructions. And then they can use that, you know, perhaps the director meets with the parent or guardian to go over that. Then the director can go back and use all that. And perhaps even the parent or guardian can come in to do staff training, you know, information mm-hmm. on the disability. What is it? Any signs and symptoms of chronic health condition? Um, you know, just creating that plan with any cares and any emergency protocols. Um, all those specifics. And that's where the nurse, you know, if the center has a child care health consultant nurse can come in and do training as well. But that ICCP is going to be, it's going to be key just to, you know, describe that child's needs, um, how the center is going to carry out any needs during the day when the child is there, um, mm-hmm. any accommodations that are required to meet um, the individual needs of the child while at child care. Um, you know, when and how to give any medications, you know, like a tube feeding, how to do that. If you'd have to give insulin, um, just any, how to perform any of those medical procedures. And that's where the parent or guardian and the nurse can really be helpful. Um, and then, like I said, in the event of a medical emergency, what do you do? You know, is it 911? Is there a medication to be given? But sitting, you know, getting those orders or records from the doctor and then sitting down with the family to say, how does this go at home? And, you know, the family often is the best teacher to show, you know, the staff how to do it. And a lot of times it becomes much, much simpler than the initial, you know, reaction of, you know, the anxious staff that learned that they might be getting a child with, um, you know, some sort of medical condition. Yeah. That's really a good point. And I think as you're describing it, you know, it really is a recipe for success. It really is the map for that child's day so that everyone knows what's what to expect, what to do, and also be prepared for if things don't go smoothly. And I think that that's really helpful. And I loved what you said about the parents oftentimes being that that voice that says, we do it every day at home and this is what this is what it looks like and i think that those kind of stories are really helpful for the early childhood educator to hear because there sometimes i think that we forget that our setting and that home setting can be very similar in a lot of ways and so <laughs> when the parent comes in and shares their expertise about home life you know they're dealing with a lot more detail and and anxiety i'm sure than the childcare setting in some ways we're dealing with a bunch of other bodies that are also coming into play. So there's a concern I'm sure about, you know, keeping that child safe from other peers and all of those pieces. But when you look at that recipe for success, that ICCP, ICCPP, I always forget the last P, but I think that that can calm everyone down. And then Sarah, do you typically, um, is there like a way to say, we're going to revisit this and update it and keep tabs on it? Or how do you usually handle that when you're working with a site? So anytime there's a change, so let's say the doctor um, alters the medication, they're they're on a different medication or the diet, or excuse me, the um, dosage will change. Anytime Mm -hmm. there's a change, it really needs to be re-reviewed and updated. And then I would say beyond that, at least annually. So with any changes or challenges that come up, 
Um, and then at least, you know, once a year for sure. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that really needs to be for any child, you know, with a special diagnosis of, you know, any medical condition or like I mentioned, you know, earlier too, and anything that's going on where the child has some sort of special needs, um, it just really needs to be in place. Right. And there's help. I know licensing has help with how to fill those out as well from the provider's perspective. I know you said the doctor filling out, you know, as much as possible is really helpful. Having that time sitting down with families, even if you're not updating things, I think it's just good to keep in close communication with families about how things are going, especially if the child is is enrolled and is new to the program. You want to make sure that you're building in regular conversations, you know, I would, you know, for the first weeks, for sure, to just say, this is, we, we noticed this, this is a little bumpy. Can you give us some tips on how this went? Um, I think what happens in some cases is that anxiety flares back up again. And then the knee-jerk reaction is to say, oh, we can't do this. It's too hard. And so to just take a moment and step back, calm yourself down and say, you know what, though, we've got experts that are there to support us. We've got the parent, we've got our nurse, we've got the doctor. We're all going to work on this together. It's not just me, the provider, with all this on my shoulders. Right. And and as you look back at, at sites where it's really been successful, are there a couple key components that, you know, really stand out? Yeah, I think the collaboration is key before the child enrolls in the program, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't have the child start and then two weeks later be addressing this. Right. This all needs to be planned ahead of time. Um, And then that training of staff is just, it's critical and it really needs to be anyone that could potentially interact with a child during the day, Mm -hmm. you know, so if there's, you know, different shifts or that sort of thing, morning staff and that sort of thing or coverage, everyone really needs to be, um, you know, in on it and trained and it's, it's little things, um, you know, just, you got a picture, you know, this child is at home, parents care for them, but now they're in the childcare center. So you got to think about the whole day, you mm-hmm. know, lunch, mm-hmm. you know, if they've got like a food allergy, you yeah. know, there's so many details of, you know, if they're allergic to milk, like, well, what else is milk in and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, just like all their avoidance techniques, um, anything that's known to trigger their allergy, like past um, symptoms descriptions, can be really helpful. Like what did it look like when they've um, reacted? And then of course, how to respond. So I think, you know, the, the avoidance techniques are huge. You know, we really need to look at that with your kitchen staff and your classroom staff and everyone. But then also, you know, if something does end up happening, what's the plan? Like if they have an EpiPen, where is that located? And, you know, does everyone know, have they practiced with a trainer how to give it? Do they know where it's located? And Mm -hmm. Um, what's the protocol? Are you calling 911? That that whole sort of thing. So this it's just right. crucial to sit down and go over all that with the parents and then grab all the staff and just review all those details of yeah, you know, who's allergic to what and exactly what the situation is. Definitely. And I think that, you know, the more you can talk about it and share your fears. If you are concerned as a staff person, going to the director, going to the and if it's the child is in your classroom, touching base with that family again and saying, I'm I'm feeling anxious about the whole, you know, EpiPen response. Can you walk me through that again? And, you know, or any of those things, I think, instead of just holding it inside and, and letting that stress and worry build. Um, as we kind of as we wrap up, Sarah, I'm wondering if 
you know, I'm sure you have some stories of really great outcomes of having a child enrolled in a site that does have some special health care needs and the, the wonderful benefits that are evident in that situation. And I know we ha- we've seen them so many times. And I'm just going to speak to one that stands out for me as I look back on my years of working in the field is just the confidence and the professionalism that as a professor, as a, a child care ed- educator, as a child early childhood educator, to be able to say, I know how to do these things and I know how to care for kids who have these needs. It builds my competency as a professional. And um, it's just, it's going to take you throughout your career. You're going to find it super useful. And I'm sure you yeah. have other yeah. things to share too. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. Caregivers and teachers are going to develop those additional skills um, you know, not in only caring for the children, but how to do that individualized care for right. different children with different needs. I think that's super important. Um, and perhaps, you know, they get some extra training too. you know, just add another feather in their cap, another tool to their tool belt. It's just, you know, increased experience and knowledge for them. And, yeah. you know, just the confidence that that's going to give them too. you know, mm-hmm. from going from the fear and the anxious to being able to work with a child with, you know, whatever the disability is. Um, I think it's huge. Um, and then I think it's good for all the children, you know, those with the special needs, as well as, um, the other kids there, it's great for their social skills, their self-esteem, um, just to be there together and see that. Um, I think it's good for families of the children with the special needs. Um, they get the social support and they develop more positive attitudes that, you know, their child can do this, you know, they're doing okay, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then it's good for the other families too. You know, the children um, and families without any special needs, they might become more understanding and accepting, you know, of disabilities and differences. Um, So I I think it's great. And we, like I said, we've seen it very successful without, you know, a whole lot of, um, you know, just with a whole lot of angst in the end, you know, it just, it seems to work and it's kind of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And you do see that with programs who have successfully done it, like, oh, diabetic, like, oh yeah, we had one to two years ago. Like, oh yeah, I worked with that. Not that big of a deal. And and another thing to realize too, is, you know, if you had maybe a diabetic 10 years ago, it might be very different today. Like you, you do have, because technology has come so far and it really is different. So getting all of those instructions and just the whole overview from the family is really, really important. And the family is usually, like I said, very, very skilled to be able to teach and also really willing. They want, you know, they want their child there and they want everyone to be successful. So that's a great tool. And like I said, the, the health consultant also can be a great resource with that. That's great. Yep. I mean, children to be able to be in a care setting that's part of their community with their peers, their same age peers, learning and growing and playing together is going to be beneficial all the way around. So thank you, Sarah, for delving deep into this topic that can be kind of hard sometimes, I think, for people. And um, I wanted to direct our listeners to our website, which we will also have included on the podcast um, description. But we do have some resources on the ADA you can always go to ada.gov if, and just even just type in childcare and all of the rules related to childcare will come up. There's also the Disability um, Law Center, the Child Care Law Center, and then um, and for the state of Minnesota, the Department of Human Services has a Disability Services tab on their website as well. So there's a lot of resources out there. 
and you're not alone. So thank you again, Sarah, for being with us. I so appreciate talking about this topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.